Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of the American Truck Driver Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Polk, alongside Larry Long, who is back from a well-deserved vacation. And uh, we're going to get caught back up here and get some more stuff done on the podcast. Uh, I think I'm going to start this week with a experience that I had in a Landstar group. Um, you know, and it's not just Landstar. There's a lot of whining and crying and complaining going on in the industry right now. And people are looking for solutions to things that to, to them are legitimate problems. I think they're really, they really are confused and, and they don't understand why things happen the way they do. And, and they're looking for answers, but I feel like they're a lot of times they're looking for the answers in the wrong places. So I was kind of responding to a post that I saw where this guy wanted something like a, uh, a, uh, rating system, you know, because he, in his mind, uh, the agents are bad. If you're not at Landstar, you're going to be blaming brokers. You know, the brokers are bad. If I'm having a problem, it's because of the brokers and somebody needs to do something about it. These bad brokers, these bad agents. And, you know, I just don't have these problems that these guys do. And so I wrote a, a little thing here. I'm going to read it and uh, we can discuss when I failed at Landstar in 2017, after three years and lost my truck, it was my fault. Me. I had to face the man in the mirror and fix him. It wasn't the agent's fault. It wasn't the carrier's fault. It wasn't even the government's fault. It was me. Me alone. I was the only person on planet Earth that could have stopped the failure from happening. Now I've been back 19 months and I'm working in a fleet. I dispatched my own truck. And I also watch over three others. It is only on the rarest of occasions that I have a, quote, bad agent problem. It's so rare that I hardly even think about it. Coincidentally, I had one yesterday. I called on a load that fit my load alert parameters, and the agent answered and said there were three stops. Three stops were not listed in the posting. I asked why they weren't listing, and he hung up on me. So I sent my copy of an, uh, myself a copy of the email. I forwarded it to Landstar, and within 20 minutes, the agent reposted the load correctly. Now, obviously, I'm not going to work with him because of how he treated me. That's one individual among 1,400 agents. 1,400. Folks, it's time to start looking in the mirror first to make sure we don't have immediate access to the possible cause of our woes. Landstar is a perfect representation of the free market. It's not some socialist utopia where everybody gets a trophy. There are winners and there are losers. It's hard work. Those who come to do the hard work, who take the time to build relationships with customers, agents, shops, and even corporate will, success, will succeed beyond their wildest dreams and have an opportunity to build great wealth. Those who don't will be miserable. Please don't try to force the rest of us to share your misery. The market's going to get worse before it gets better. That is a mathematical certainty. You are the best tool and representative you have. You can be your hero or you can be your saboteur. You might have to change you. So, you know, I guess if I hadn't lived this, maybe I couldn't say that. But I know what caused my failure. And you're looking at him. Even if there was some magical entity somewhere out there, whether it's a corporate organization or a government, 
who was exactly going to come and fix me? Was it going to be the government? Was the government going to write rules and send an enforcement agent to, to make me behave? No. Was the carrier going to do something and force me to behave in a different manner? No. There was one guy, me. I was the only person that could have stopped myself from failing. If you're looking anywhere other than in the mirror to find the source of your problem or the solution, you're going to be looking a long time. And, you know, I'm just concerned about, well, I'm not concerned about people. Well, I'm concerned about people that they don't understand this concept, but yet there's nobody to protect me from them. Because they want the system to change. They want the industry to change. They want someone to set their rates for them. They want someone to fix everything for them. And I want no part of it. I want absolutely nothing to do with your strikes and your boycotts and your protestations. I, I, uh, I don't want anything to do with it. And, and as I found a lot of support in these three or four groups that I shared this in, there's a lot of people out there that are like me that don't want this, this coercion and interference that you're looking for. And, you know, so that's kind of my piece. That's how I wanted to start. So Larry, if you got anything to respond to that, go ahead. Here's the thing, Chris, you bought a truck, you went into business. There was nobody that, 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 guaranteed your success you took a risk and on this particular occasion the risk didn't work out in your favor no the the fact that you failed doesn't change the fact that you had the opportunity not to fail your failure was a series of decisions series of things that happened to you that some of what some of which could have been predictable some of them were a little bit of bad luck but that's isn't that why we all pursue entrepreneurship though here's the thing here's here's the other option the the other the other side of this argument would say well you bought the truck there should have been regulations there should have been guarantees there should have been some overriding nanny state that said well chris bought this truck we should guarantee that all freight he gets is three bucks a mile we should guarantee that repairs aren't any more than five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. We should we should get we we should we should we should we should you know. And the problem with that is is that for that to happen, then the overachievers are then limited to what they can accomplish because they're the ones that are going to have to pay for those guarantees. Mm-hmm. So you're reducing this argument down basically to a basic concept of capitalism versus socialism. And it's a pretty timely argument in our political environment today. But, you know, entrepreneurship will not survive, will not even function in a socialistic situation because it's the opposite of entrepreneurship. You know, I don't want a guarantee. I don't, I, I, you know, if I wanted that, I'd go work for somebody, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't put everything that I have at risk all of my life to build businesses for a guarantee. Some failed, some didn't fail. Some did extremely well, some didn't. But that's the chance you take. And here's the thing. If everything was guaranteed, 
what would you learn? I mean, what, Nothing. Th- this failure taught you more than any class you could have ever paid for. This was the most expensive tuition you ever paid in your life. Oh, and yeah. And you got the best result. Your diploma that you got from that experience is worth far more than any college degree you ever signed up for. Yeah. And that's the problem with this is that, you know, if, if, you, if you're not allowed to fail, you're not allowed to learn. You know, everybody's not going, you know, it's just like, it's just like, I, I, I hate professional sports, but we we'll use it as an example. You can't have 16 teams and all of them be 15 and one, 15 and right. zero at the end of the year. If there's a 15 and zero, there's a zero and 15. Yeah. It's a zero sum game. Okay. Well, that's kind of what business is. You know, we, the, the government can't pick the winners, because the free market is going to do that. But when the free market allows winners, the free market also allows losers. That's just the way it is. And I know that that's hard. And to some people, that sounds like it's not fair. But there's nothing about this. There, read me in the Constitution where, where, where fairness is a guarantee. Yeah. yeah. So, it, it, you know, you've, you've learned a, a great lesson. You've illustrated a great lesson here. And that's the bottom line. When you when you put on this uniform, and you put on the helmet and the shoulder pads, and you walk out on the playing field of entrepreneurship, you're going to take a hit. You know, you may get up and dust off. You may not. You know, you may it may put you in the hospital. But one way or another, you're going to learn something from it. And if you still want to do this, you pick yourself up and you do it again. You know, um, I posted a post this week from about Colonel Sanders. I don't know if you remember seeing it or not, but. It uh, lifelong failures. Life mm-hmm. almost com- was sitting down to commit suicide. You know, writing the note when it. You know, he realized, and 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 at age seventy, he starts KFC. And of course, the rest is history. There, seventy years old, a whole life of nothing but. Look at my. It's it, it's on. It's well, it's on the blue ribbon post. It's mm-hmm. on the blue ribbon page. Look it up. Perfect example of what we're talking about here. You know, here's a guy that got kicked and knocked down. And everything he did, he failed at. Yeah. Until the very last thing. At yeah. age 70, he, he starts KFC. So, there's the lesson. You know, there's... Uh, there's I was yeah. reading... I was actually reading the Wikipedia article because I've been on social media long enough to not believe most of what I read on there. Mm-hmm. And... So I decided to look up Colonel Sanders because I wanted to know more about the story. And there's some of that in that post that's not true. Some of yeah, it's, it's embellished been, it's a little been, bit. Been, been over-embellished. <clears throat> but, okay, but the, the fact that that he never really fried a piece of commercial chicken until he was in his 60s is, is 100% <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. That's and true. what's hilarious is they talked about his vulgarity because he sold the, the American – side of it because it got too big for him to manage so he sold it and they changed the gravy recipe mm. and he was pissed he re- he maintained the canadian restaurants and and ran them I, I guess up until until he died in 1980 uh but they said that you know he would go in because he even though he didn't own it anymore he'd sold i think for two million dollars he was still the face and so he traveled all over the the world um, and he would go in there and said he would he would slap the plate off of the table and say it was goddamn slop, you know, because they changed his recipe to make it more efficient. But apparently yeah. there is one restaurant. I need to look that up. There is one restaurant remaining to this day that still serves the original 
Colonel Sanders' recipe. Nobody else has it anymore. But I suspect it's the one in Corbin, Kentucky. The original is still there. Yeah, it's uh, it's but this one has a name because it was something that he opened afterward with his wife's name on it. Um, oh no 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 that's that's up in Shelbyville. That's yeah. called Claud- Claudia Claudia something yeah. Sanders Claudia Sanders Restaurant. It's it's in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Yeah yeah, and that's the one I guess that still has the very original okay. recipe. So if you want the original KFC, that's where you got to go get it. Um, but yeah, you you can't ever quit and. I see, and I, I mean, I can empathize, I guess, with I see people that I know are going to fail over the next six to eight months. I know they are. I don't want it to happen to them, but I know how profitable we are based on our numbers. And as profitable as we are, we, we don't have room for $2,500 a month truck payments. I mean, think about that. With the four trucks that we have right now operating, we would be paying $10,000 a month just in truck payments and higher insurance and bigger repair bills. And I wish there was a way to get through to them the way there. I wish there would have been a way to get through to me if someone could have, uh, you know, I because I, I constantly think, well, if I, you know, if, well, if I would have met Larry back in the day, maybe he could have talked sense into me. And that's probably a pipe dream. You know, um, because I did, I did run into, yeah, I did run into a lot of, a lot of savvy people, but I was the king of saying, yeah, but see, my situation is different because, well, I can't do that because, and I could list you all the reasons of why I couldn't do this, that, and the other, but I knew damn well what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I knew I was spending too much money. I knew I wasn't saving much money, but I felt hopeless because of the circumstances and, you know, when it was finally gone and there was no more truck, it was unfortunately at that moment I realized, wow, I guess I guess I could have stopped and changed the circumstances, but I didn't. I literally waited until the day the truck completely died and I couldn't recover from it, and then I went, oh, well, I guess I could have stopped. People tend to defend their decisions, even though they know they're bad. They don't, right. un, unlike you, they don't want to admit that they're wrong, and so they'll rationalize even a shitty decision, you know, and they'll write it till it's, you know, in the yeah. dirt, you know. So uh, that's that's human nature. I get, you know, I get a chance. Sometimes Landstar will send me people to work with that have reached out to them, but the, by the time a truck, especially an owner, especially a, a male truck driver that's 40 to 60 years old, by the time he reaches out to somebody, he is way past desperate, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like asking, I'm like trying to get a guy to ask for directions, you know? And, um, it, it you know, and, and by that time, there's just so little you can do because they've made so many horrible decisions and they just keep defending them, you know. It's like you can you can see it from outside the building. What's wrong, mm-hmm. you know? But you start to talk to them about it, and instead of listening to you, all they want to do is defend what they did. Yeah, but yeah, but but my case, but like his case is different, you know. Mm-hmm. And every one of them, you know, you can almost figure out exactly. You know, you can. You, there's a there's a there's a a a a series of bad decisions. You know, 
most of them starting with buying the truck. And then it just goes downhill from there, you know. And then most, of, and then you start seeing the desperation kick in because now you start seeing the fuel, you know, purchasing get desperate, and you start seeing the maintenance get more desperate, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's just it, it it's a very very predictable and a very very um, common series of mistakes. But yet they think they're the one. Oh no, my, I was my mom was different. Mm-hmm. No, no, you're the same fool <laughs> that everybody else was. You know, it's just this time it's got your name on it. You know, it's more personal to you. Everybody else you read about was somebody else you didn't think that happened to you, but does. Yeah, so. the 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 baby <clears throat> analogy. I, I it, it's warm. Uh, I know it stinks, but it's warm and it's mine, and I'm sitting yeah. here. You know, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, oh, you're right. You're right. Uh, there was an article on Overdrive Magazine, which is a very, very popular magazine in the industry this week about driver shortage, you know. And, of course, I stirred it up. I, I, you know, me. I was the very first comment. They were all talking about how they were getting paid $14 an hour and, you know, da, 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 da. and I said, look, guys, here's the thing about this, you know. Drivers get paid based on the value they bring to the market. And the problem with that is most drivers are going to pay what they're worth. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, just look at these comments and the attitude represented and draw your own conclusions. Okay? So, yeah. it just, and it just goes back to what you said. You know, everybody wants, because they have because they have pulled the jersey on and pulled, put on the shoulder pads, they want to be guaranteed a touchdown. You know, and... It just doesn't work that way, you know. It just doesn't work that way, you know. The other team is going to hit you, yeah, you know, and they're going to hit you very hard, you know. Well, and the the greed and envy bothers me too among some people because today, right now, there, there's a NASCAR race going on at at uh, at Talladega, and there'll be football professional football games all over the country, and the worst team in the NFL has some of the world's best athletes on it and the guy running dead last at talladega right now is still one of the best race car drivers in the world that amount of excellence even though they're not on a winning team you know could be uh, you know i mean imagine if you're one of these world-class athletes and you're on a team that sucks you almost ask yourself, well, why even show up, you know, or, or why, why climb into a race car that you know is going to finish dead last? Well, I can tell you why they, on the race cars, I know why they do it, because they know that their chance of getting a good ride depends on being in a ride. You know, if you're not there, you, you got no shot, you know, and you got this, uh, this kid, well, he's not a kid, he's a man, you know, uh, Matthew uh, De Benedetto. Mm-hmm. who has just been through hell and has driven junk but has taken more uh has gotten more out of 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 bad race cars than than a lot of people other could and almost wins a race this year and but that perseverance and driving these cars that suck has paid off and he's going to be in one of the best rides next year mm-hmm. you know and if he would have ever quit and said well screw this i you know i i can't win so i got i'm going to go home you know, so there's great analogies in sports that we can use. 
I just got a reply to that comment, okay? I'm going to read it again. Here's here's my reply. This is about driver pay and driver conditions and uh, drivers rank different problems in the industry. My reply was, in a free market, people are paid based on the value they bring to the marketplace. Most drivers are paid exactly what they're worth. Just read these comments and the attitudes reflect this phenomenon. Just got a reply. Larry W. Long, you, sir, are an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my favorite. Now, what what about my reply can you possibly argue with, you know? Yeah. Unless you're a driver that's paid what you're worth. What did I? Oh, well, I had, so I had an experience this weekend where I had an interview scheduled with a driver. 9 a.m. Saturday morning. I drive 40 miles on the way to get there. I got there 15 minutes early. Never heard anything from him. At ten minutes after, I left. I I just made a, a con, you know a post about it on Facebook, and I said, "Why in the world would you pass up an opportunity to to have an eighty to a hundred thousand dollar a year job and just not show up and not call?" And a Landstar BCO commented on it. You know, you know nobody in this industry makes eighty to a hundred thousand dollars. You're just lying about it. And I looked at his profile, and this guy's a BCO at Landstar. And wow. I'm thinking, okay, well, then the only thing that I can really deduce is that this guy probably is a BCO that's probably making forty thousand dollars a year because he doesn't know how to build relationships. He doesn't know how to make the system work for him. And so he would rather everybody else just be as miserable as he is. But because he, he can't do it. Well, obviously nobody else can do it. So there's another thing. I want to be delicate here because this is a competing podcast. But, but I, I see a thing online, a, a website, where a guy has put up a P&L. And I look at his P&L. Okay, he's got a three-month P&L. And By the it, way, it's his first, his first three months in business, not just three months. Right. His first three months as an owner-operator. So he paid himself $12,000 in that three months, so $4,000 a month. $1,000 a week. Yeah. And he had a net profit of like $8,300 in addition to, you know, all this. So well, all the smoke clears. Now, I looked and looked and looked. I looked three times. And I never could see his truck payment or trailer payment as a part of that. So I'm going to assume that he still, because he he had this P&L set up to where, you know, because you can't write off your payment. So he had interest written, you know, written off, and he had all of his uh, broker fees and factoring fees and fuel and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to assume here, and hopefully not make an ass out of you and me, but I'm going to assume here that out of this $8,300, he still has to pay the truck and trailer payment for three months. Yeah, the, the, because the truck and trailer are an asset, it's not part of the P&L. It's, it's part of the balance sheet. Okay. So the interest is deductible. The, the other part's only deductible to the extent of depreciation, which normally isn't figured until the end of the year. So the depreciation hasn't been, hasn't been deducted from that 8000 yet. Okay. That's where the truck payment would come in. So... so Cash flow speaking. Cash flow would be different. Okay. If if I'm correct, 
and he has a say two thousand dollar a month truck payment and let's say a six hundred dollar a month trailer payment well that's seventy eight hundred dollars you know yeah i think i think in one of the earlier podcasts i think i think he mentioned that he paid eighty five thousand dollars for his truck and and he's it's a reefer trailer he paid thirty some thousand for the trailer i do believe that's what he said so i just i just looked at myself as a comparison and i thought okay wait a minute i'm a company driver i have no risk i have no ownership right i'm just just a driver okay i make double what this guy does double i I routinely make eight to ten thousand dollars a month gross income before taxes that's my you know that's how my my salary breaks out or not salary but my pay um it's eight to ten thousand dollars a month and i'm just a driver now i appreciate what this guy's doing and i'm not trying to pull his pants down and i'm not trying to make a fool out of him right because i appreciate what he's doing he's starting from nothing and he's letting everybody walk along with him okay so i I want to be clear that I'm not trying to just criticize this guy and tear him up because I I think he's doing a good thing. But just on the numbers, at at a dollar sixty four operating cost, dollar sixty four. I don't know that the market over the next eight to ten months is going to bear a dollar sixty four. I th- I think there's going to be some points where a dollar sixty four is going to be hard to come by, and it just to me it screams that if you don't have a paid for truck right now or a very very low payment, and and uh, and you know your numbers and and how to squeeze every inch out of your fuel and because I mean you look at our fuel. The, our worst fuel mileage is everybody else's best. Mm-hmm. That, that our worst, you know, and you, I see friends of mine, uh, one one in particular that I I love just you know razzing him about his tires, you know, because I tried to get him to buy. We had a nice set of Michelin duels, and I try. I said, man, buy these tires. Oh man, I don't want. And I'm like, you know, and so every chance I get, I'm like. Hey, how much money them Firestones cost you? Shut up. I don't want to hear it. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, I said, well, you know, you can buy our tires and have them paid for in about six months just in the fuel savings alone. But, you know, y'all, it's it's fixing to get real. And I, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not trying to use fear to motivate people because it's a terrible motivator. But we've got to come to terms with reality. And we've got too much capacity and we've got kind of okay freight volumes, but we're heading into the winter time, and January and February and March are coming. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, but we're already seeing bankruptcies and trucks, trucking companies dropping like flies and reducing divisions and drivers losing their jobs, and that's directly related to the incredibly high cost, the way everybody does it, you know, which is running at a 91 percent operating 
what's that word they use? Operating ratio. Operating ratio of 90 to 95 percent. That's crazy. It's it's just it's crazy and it's dangerous and it absolutely scares the hell out of me that that I would be in that position. And uh, you know, I don't know. I guess it is what it is, but that's that's what we're trying to do here is illustrate uh, a way to run a company with very very low margins so that you can survive when the market's down and then you can build wealth beyond your wildest dreams when the market's up and it's going to come back up it eventually will you know and it may be a good parallel because he is he is building a conventional he, he's trying to start a trucking company you know in the traditional conventional way you know yeah. he, he went out and bought a fairly expensive truck for a first truck and a reefer trailer for a trailer and he's you know he's uh, got his own authority so he's 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 doing the the just the you know typical owner operator approach and he's being very transparent you know so mm-hmm. i mean it's going to be interesting to see we could do the same thing we could take a we could take one of our you know guys uh who who bought their own truck and parallel that and show what it's like to do it you know our way and show the big <laughs> the big difference which maybe we should do yeah know? and um, to be fair you know this was his first three months so he said he's going to do another one which is six he's at six months now so it, the, his his six month PL should be coming anytime right. and he said he would do one at a year you right. know so i'm sure after only three months he's going to get better and maybe he can you know change that spread and and obviously this guy's sharp enough he's gonna make it He's sharp enough that he's going to make it. But I, already, I got enough blood pressure issues that is, as it is. You know, I don't, I don't need that kind of stress in my life. And, you know, obviously I'm sure he's going to be able to take advantage of his media um, that he's doing and, and probably create some extra profit and stuff. But, you know, it's, it's just a scary spot to be in a market like this with such high costs. Imagine if he'd bought a new truck. At double the double the cost, I can't. No way, I can't imagine. It's just, uh, but of course that's the way everybody does it, you know. And don't don't tell me, don't ask me how much. Just ask me how much per month. And what if he'd done a lease? Uh, what if he'd done a lease purchase of traditional financing? Yeah, that would, that would have been that's a horror story. Yeah, wish we could find one of those guys that would do a transparent P and L. you know, and of course, right. Well, and that's the thing. It's it's very difficult to be, get anybody to compare apples and apples. You know, they want to compare my apples to their oranges, which I don't know. May, maybe this is the guy because he, he is doing a good job and he is transparent. Maybe 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 we can get him. We'll do a cross-podcast cross interview and, and yeah. you know, compare stuff, and it would probably be a great opportunity. But I don't – I mean, I don't ever want to discourage anybody from getting their own authority. Because that's kind of the ultimate level of freedom that you can have to, to be truly independent or like that guy that was getting all over Kevin Rutherford saying you're not a real owner-operator unless you have your own authority. But there's so much less risky ways to do it. I, I'm sure last year probably was the time. You know, or probably probably about the middle of 2017 was probably the perfect time if you were – 
if you were mindful of your expenses to get your own op, uh, authority because you could have made a killing up until this year uh, and then probably had a, uh, a nice enough cushion to roll through this downtime. Uh, but there's no way I'd go get an authority right now, not in this environment. It, it's suicide, looking for a place to happen. Well, insurance costs is way, way up. And if you don't have, you know, 90 days worth of cash flow, then you're going to be factoring. Those are two unnecessary expenses. Yeah. At least to a carrier, you don't have to do that. Yeah. If at least to the right carrier, then you don't have to worry about the freedom situation. That's so true. Yeah. You just have to learn how to build relationships, you know. Yeah. But you can't be one of these guys that come to Landstar and think because I'm at Landstar now, I should have a guarantee. Right. We get our share of those. Oh, yeah. Do you, uh, since I had the experience, you want to talk any about uh, DOT physicals and sleep apnea? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, what do you want me to talk about? So I had an experience where back in the early part of the year, it was probably March or April, I went and got a life insurance exam. And they took my blood and my blood pressure and gave me a little physical. And my blood pressure was like 126 over 82, you know, best blood pressure I'd had in years. Because I had about back in 2012 where I'd had high blood pressure and the doctor put me on the pills and the pills made me sick. And he eventually weaned me off of them. And of course, that's when I was going through all that nightmare of, of leasing the truck and, and, uh, it was probably pretty natural to have really high blood pressure because the stress I was under was just unbelievable. And, uh, so the doctor weaned me off of it and I was a little high, you know, I, I could be like, you know, 140 over 85 or, you know, in situations I could get a little bit high. So, but, so I go to this, this life insurance exam and it was perfect. And I thought, wow, that's the best blood pressure I've had in years. So July rolls around. It's time for my DOT physical, and I go to a MedExpress. They checked me, and they said my blood pressure was 175 over 110. I mean, it was stroke level. And they said, you know, they put me in a dark room for 30 minutes and came back and checked it and went down a little bit. And, okay, well, here's, you know, we'll give you a 90-day card. Okay. So I quit using tobacco, I changed my diet, I changed my eating habits, I stopped drinking soda, started drinking a lot more water, and I thought, okay, and I'd been, I had been watching it, it was still a little bit high, but it was when it went in range. So I go in there, last, uh, I guess Tuesday it was, and they said, well, your blood pressure's still too high, and we can't give you a card, period. You're, 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 done, you're done. And I'm like, well, I, I, yeah, I can't be done. Uh, cause this is my, this is my way of making a living. And they used the machine. Nobody in that place ever took my blood pressure manually. Well, the doctor comes in or PA, probably not a doctor. He's probably a, a physician's assistant, but he comes in and he says, well, by the way, we got this checklist here. Uh, we checked your BMI and your neck size. And so regardless, if you get your blood pressure down and you come back here, uh, this is going to be in our system, and you're not going to get more than a six-month card until you take a sleep apnea test. And I looked him straight in the face and said, well, that's not happening because I sleep like a baby. Uh, anybody that knows me can attest to the fact that I sleep like a baby. And I'm, I don't number one, I don't have money for a sleep apnea test, and I'm not doing it. So I start freaking out, 
and I called a friend of mine that I went to high school with. It's a chiropractor and is a you know health nut. I mean, dude's just ripped. You know, he's a, a just unbelievable physical specimen. And I said, Doc, what, what the hell am I going to do? And he said, first of all, you're going to calm down. He said, number one, because this BMI is bullshit. That was his exact term. This BMI is, is crap. Because here he is, 40, I'm 43, he's 41 years old, in the best shape of his life, and he's obese. Obese. He said, you know, blood pressure is, there's a recommended uh, line, but it is not, it's just not arbitrary. You, you can have a little bit higher than, than normal blood pressure and be perfectly healthy. So he said, look, here's a friend of mine down the road that he does DOT physicals. Go down and see him. So I go, and this guy, we have a conversation. He calms me down. Well, he checks my blood pressure manually, and surprise, 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 133 over 84. Now, he says, I recognize that you've had a problem, um, and 133 over 84 is a touch high over normal. He said, so I'm going to give you one year card and you're going to continue with your diet and continue with exercise. He said, but I believe you can get it completely down. But he also looked at me in the face and he said, this sleep apnea stuff was nothing ever, nothing more than a recommendation. It is not anywhere in law. It's not anywhere in requirements that we have to take sleep studies and all this crap. It's a complete money grab uh, to try to get drivers onto these, uh, these sleep studies and on these CPAP machines. So here's my thing after having been through this. Just be careful where you go. I, that's the last time I'll go to Med Express or anything. We now know, well, I do, I'll speak for myself. I now know and believe that the medical industry has got some problems going on. And there are people in that industry that I can trust. And a lot of those are chiropractors and naturopaths and uh, uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Homeopathic. Homeopathic, nutritionists. These people have actually studied the science. They're not just repeating what they were taught in school. And my concern for some of these, if you're going to a place like a MedExpress or somewhere, I don't know, occupational therapy, or not therapy, what's it called? Occupational, um, occupational medicine is probably not as bad there. But when, you're, when your livelihood is on the line, you better go to somebody that has a brain and is able to look at the big picture because I don't doubt that my blood pressure was up back in July, but I don't believe for a second it was as high as that machine said it was because I've had really high blood pressure before, and I felt it. I felt like my head was going to blow off. And this whole time, for three months, I have not had any symptoms of high blood pressure. Not I haven't had red face. I haven't had headaches. I haven't had dizziness. I haven't had any of that stuff, other except for them, you know, making me freak the hell out because they, you know, trying to make me believe I was going to die. Our livelihood is on the line here. So you really got to, it's almost now I'm, I'm looking at it like a shop. When it comes to doctors, you better go find somebody you trust and that you can build a relationship with. And that's why when I went to my friend, the, the chiropractor, who's known me for 30 years and has treated me, he knows me. He knows my habits, good and bad, and, and he can recognize whether or not I'm in actual bad shape or not. And then some overpaid 
idiot at a Met Express, I, you know, I, it's just it. We gonna have to be real careful in this industry about how we handle who is allowed to examine us when it comes to being fit for our license. And the industry is trying to restrict who we can go to because now they have that approved medical examiner's list right. that they have to be on in order for you to go. And to be on that list, you have to take some, quote, training. I'm using air quotes here yeah. because it's not training. It's indoctrination. And that's where this, even though there's no regulation, no legal requirement that you have to take a sleep apnea test no matter what size your neck is. Right. There's a rec- There's a guideline that now they all are being indoctrinated to. And, and they're told that if you approve somebody that, that should have been tested and they go out and kill somebody, now that we have this medical registry, it's coming back on you. So that's why everybody is trying to play defense now. But you're right. That sleep apnea, I mean, if for people that have it, it's a serious thing, okay? Yeah. Now, when I used to weigh 400 pounds, I had it. I mean, I would fall asleep at, I mean, I wasn't a truck driver then. I'd fall asleep at a traffic light in a car, okay? If I'm in a meeting and they turn the lights down, I'm asleep, okay? Well, after I lost all the weight, it went away. You know, I don't have it now. But I had, but I did go through that $5,000 sleep study. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, good news. Uh, National Association of Small Trucking Companies, NASTIC, they have a sleep study thing that you can do in your truck. And it's very little. I think it's maybe 200 bucks. Hmm. I don't quote me on that. But I've, I've heard the guys talk I'll about it on up. the radio. And um, I don't know if you have to be a member to do it. If it is, it would be worth the membership for a year to do it. So if, you, so if you're in a situation where you've been told you have to have a sleep study, then I would look at that as an option because it's certainly a lot cheaper and you can do it in your truck and you send it, send it in, the results are sent back. So, And if you do have sleep apnea, it's easily fixed with a CPAP. I mean, it's not like a life sentence. But if, you're, if you don't, and this is just a screening thing, mechanism to, for a money grab, which it is most of the time, at least you can prove that you don't have it and get them off your ass. I'm looking it up right now. Nastic.com driver programs apnea solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, federal the FMCSA's director there, CME, certified certified medical examiners to back off diagnosing borderline or mild cases of sleep apnea and to concentrate their efforts on moderate to severe cases. The consequences of this guideline has perhaps have perhaps been felt the hardest by our industry's hardest and longest working CDL drivers. Nastic's sleep apnea solution allows companies to have their driver pool screened for sleep apnea issues in advance of their DOT recertification dates. This program offers an overnight pulse ox screening. This one-night screening test will give the CME the information that they need to make an informed decision concerning the likelihood of the presence of sleep apnea. The driver is given a copy of their screening test results with recommendations by a board-certified sleep doctor. These recommendations will span from a no sign of sleep apnea to borderline sleep apnea to sleep apnea suspected with the recommendation of a four-channel confirmation test. Well, that's fast. That's fascinating. So I'll drop this stuff into the, uh, uh, into the. But I l- actually love that. I love that it says that the FMCSA has has directed them to back off because uh, it was really bad. I, I had uh, I was probably twelve and thirteen. Man, there were a bunch of guys that I worked with that were getting slammed with these sleep studies. And of course, we were all contractors leased to a carrier. We didn't have insurance to pay for these things and they were shutting them down, you know, and it's just, uh, 
Well, that that company that, that's a that's a, that's an association like OIDA. It, it's for it's for small trucking companies that, with their own authority, and it is uh, David Owens, who is president of it, is a big guy. He he has sleep apnea, you know, uh, and um, so he has a particular interest in this, and he's developed this program, you know, to kind of count. And of course, as you can see, he's an advocate against the FMCSA for even requiring it. But since they are you know, making a lot of people do it, he's come up with this resource to, you know, to counter the effect of it. Because if you go do this, I mean, your insurance won't pay for it, number one. And number two, it's an overnight stay in a, in a sleep, you know. Clinic. Uh, clinic, thank you. And it's 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 5000 dollars you know, to do it. So it's, uh, and then you've got to, you know, you, don't, you can't just park your rig out front. You know, you got to go home. you got to take off to go do it. I mean, it, it costs a lot, a ton of money to do it. So um, now there's some of the big co- tracking companies, I think. I think Schneider maybe is, is screening this for free now. I think they're, they're doing that. All the drivers are screening for free. But anyway, um, Hey, I got a couple of shout-outs I want to do. Okay. And we've been asking for feedback. We got a little bit this week. Oh, that's right. Um, so um, I want to shout-out Doug. I'm not going to use your last names. You probably said it's okay, but I'm not going to. Doug from New York. Um, you know, Doug called and uh, as a listener. Um, I, I called and talked to him. He had lots of questions about um, some of our cost-saving devices as far as you know maintenance items and things like that we we talked for a long time he's uh, he's part of a part of a, a dump truck fleet and we talked a lot about ops and tires and alignments and a lot of the things that have to do with with uh with saving money on maintenance so shout out to him for for listening and calling in we talked on the phone a long time good guy um <laughs> spencer from uh from minneapolis um, Spencer is, uh, I'll share a little bit with you. Um, he, I, I returned his call pretty quickly. He, you know, he says he's really hungry to learn, to get out there and actually start doing it. He finds our podcast a godsend because he was looking for the information and he just couldn't find it anywhere. And everybody on YouTube's complaining and, and, and listening to Chris. Uh, he said, it's like, it's like, it's like I brought, it brought fresh air and, and a man of integrity, uh, that he was just very much looking for. So um, he uh, went on to say that um, um, he's the kind of guy that, that we're looking for. Uh, I guess he heard that we're looking for drivers. Um, he's all about the customer. Um, he's going to continue to listen to the broadcast and learn and continue to get a little more experience in. Um, let's see, he said... Uh, some of this is being transcribed, so some of the words are missing. But see, it was like a sermon preaching to his heart. <laughs> what he wanted to accomplish by doing this in a late stage in his life uh, is, what, is what he's looking uh, to, to happen. He shares Chris, uh, he shares your Christian beliefs, and uh, wish both of us Godspeed and, and success. So thanks, Spencer, for that. Um, Let's see. We had uh, Matt from Minnesota. <laughs> Matt said, from one lunatic to another, thank <laughs> you for the show and keep on making it. I'm a mechanic and uh, would love to hear more about how you run your fleet. So we uh, we appreciate that, Matt. So, so yeah, we had we had several this, this week. Yeah, we also got a, we got a text uh, from John in Arizona. 
I've been listening to the podcast for over a year. It's always inspired to get him CDL back after 15 years. Uh, he just finished the latest episode from Blue Ribbon. Uh, I responded so well to what he was looking for in a driver and what you guys were talking about. I'm college educated and was a social worker for 10 years, and that job taught me how to be very good at finishing paperwork, staying working guys, and smart about my time. Uh, there was no movement in the company and nothing I could do unless I went back to school and went back into debt. I said I was enough. Uh, I said I was enough. I said enough was enough, and I'm sick of tired of making another twenty dollars. So he has a, a class B, and he's driving a cement mixer. He's wanting to go across the road, but I need to figure out what to do with all the cats and dogs. My mixer is a 2004 Kenworth 10 speed, so I know the transition to a full rig won't be too crazy as far as driving. Uh, he's his question is how might I apply my class B with the philosophy of Landstar and Blue Ribbon? Maybe I could buy a dump truck and be independent that way. I'm sure eventually I need to upgrade to class A, but won't be ready to hit the road until I figure out what to do with all the animals. Thank you for your podcast, and feel free to read this on the air. I have I have actually thought of that. Uh, there's got to be business opportunities in class B, you know, um, dump trucks and cement mixers and. Uh, you know, fuel haulers, there's there's bound to be some opportunities out there. I've just never, I mean, I see dump trucks around and, and it's when you're, when you're, I just saw it coming home, they're repaving I-77 and, you know, there's a bunch of dump trucks lined up in a line with asphalt. Uh, surely a lot of those guys are probably owner operators. Uh, it would be interesting to kind of look across the veil there and see, but, you know, it's going to come down to fuel and tires and and maintenance, you know, and revenue, it, uh, I'd say a lot of it's probably going to cross over. We had a couple of apps this week as well. Unfortunately, um, I don't think either of them are going to be available for us right away. They, they still got to work on some of their experience. Yeah. But it's been interesting, a couple of apps that we've had. Um, and we've talk, I've talked to, to these folks, and I've just encouraged them to go ahead and stay doing what they're doing keep their nose clean get the experience in we're not going anywhere we'll need drivers again next year so oh yeah might not make it in this upcoming class but uh we'll we'll talk talk to you when you get there and for anybody else out there you know and uh we're planning on you know doing this for a while so uh even though you might not uh be eligible this coming year uh you know stay in touch and keep listening and Keep working on getting your experience. Get you, you know, keep your nose clean, and uh, and then let's uh, let's look at you again this time next year. Yeah. So. Well, and that's that's one thing I think that would be my my wife actually had this idea of uh, of, of help. You know, because we're probably going to run into people that that you know when we do an episode like truck and go and grow rich. Um, there are going to be people that are that are not drivers that are going to be interested, and, and it would probably be good for us to kind of go through just how to get into the industry. Where do you start, and how do you um, how do you get through the school, and how do you survive that first you know that first weeks of training and, and getting through that first year, and and because it's such a a different uh, just such a different lifestyle that you have to sure. get used to. And so, well, and you and I have had different experiences there with different companies, but I don't know about you, but I probably would want to reach out to Transport America and just make sure that there's still, you know, the um, training company environment that it was when I was there back 10 years ago. Yeah. You know? uh, but I think we probably can make some um, 
some connections and some recommendations on places to go that we that where they would get a good solid foundation with a good company, you know, yeah. that they could hold their nose and stay at for a year or two, you know. So. Well, and I I had a I met a young lady this week who works for one of the big companies and she was really struggling to back into a dock. I mean, she was really having a hard time. And another driver was kind of help trying to help her. And um so I just I just kind of stepped up on the on the step and and guided her back in there and you know she said I've worked for two or three different companies and tried to get through the training and the trainers were horrible and and here's the thing I mean she could have been telling a story but I, I mean this lady was way out in left field and she was very coachable she did everything exactly as I told her to do it uh, mm-hmm. and I backed her into that hole in in about five minutes and so um, I've met people that aren't coachable. I've met people that, that say, well, my training was bad and it, and it was probably their fault. I don't think that was the case with this lady because I, I mean, I, 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 I interacted with her for all the 15 minutes and I found her to be very coachable. Um, and, um, you know, there, there's, you have to, uh, if you're going to do something like this and you get in a truck with a bad trainer, that's not teaching you something, you have to raise your hand. You have to go to the company and say, look, this guy or this girl's not teaching me anything. Um, and these trainers make really good money, you know. And unfortunately, it's up to you as the trainee to hold them accountable, you know. Um, it's hard for somebody new, though, to, to really. I mean, it's a rare individual that would do that because they're afraid they're going to be, you know, um, you know, the company's not going to take their word for it. You know, they're just going to. Especially, I would think, for a female, you know. But did you see the did you see the Facebook post where a company's hired a CDL driver now to work there and back trucks in to docks for guys for twenty five bucks cash? You see? So I put, put a picture of a sign, and, and, it, and the sign said, "You know, valet service will put your truck in the dock for twenty five dollars cash money." And so they obviously have a driver that's working there. That's yeah, going out and putting. Yeah, the liability. The liability prob- will put that out of business would, real quick. Yeah, can you imagine some <laughs> one of the big guys find out that somebody got in their truck and backed in a dock? <laughs> I thought would, that was hilarious. So, I mean, I could do it. You know, I, but but you know what they could do though? They could do instead of driving the truck, they could put some out there to coach people in. You know, yeah, just like you did for that little gal. Yeah, you know, and that would be legal. And it would also be helpful, you know. Now, the $25 part, I don't know about, but I guess, I, I don't know. There probably was a time when I would have paid 25 bucks to get a hole. Yeah. A long time ago, maybe. So. I, uh, easy now. Boy, you could, you could take, <laughs> you could take that and go a lot of wrong places with it. Uh, in a dock. <laughs> 25 bucks to get in a dock. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of drivers have paid $25 to put something in a hole and, and uh, got some Ajax wouldn't wash off. Um, but I would love, I would love to, to get a drone and hang a drone up, you know, go to somewhere and talk about that geometry. Cause that's what I was doing with her. I'm like, look, you got to watch the lines on the ground and the line on your trailer and the vertical line on the dock and a vertical line on your door. And, and I saw her light up and she was like, oh yeah, I could, you know, and she just instantly started picking up on that. So it would be cool, you know, to set up, you know, we have a YouTube channel now, by the way, I've started uploading our videos on YouTube. Um, I'll put a link to that in the podcast. Um, 
But I think it would be awesome to just have videos like that that can really slowly break down the geometry of it and how you set yourself up and 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 I think I think I could do a pretty good job of doing that. We could load that up on our YouTube video. And, um, and we have, of course we have tools like that now. We didn't have that in '97 when I started, you know. And uh, boy, it was it was difficult. So, well, uh, I don't think I have anything else. I think that was about all I had. If you uh, uh, go to Blue Ribbon Logi- Blue Ribbon Logistics dot com, if you want to drive for us, click on the drive for us link. You can fill out a form, send us some information, uh, email Chris at blueribbonlogistics.com or Larry at blueribbonlogistics.com. Find us on Facebook at An American Truck Driver and at Blue Ribbon Logistics. We are working on rebranding. Uh, we, we mentioned that last week. Um, we, we're, we're kind of excited. I think we've kind of picked a direction. We're going to head there. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, so be looking forward to that in the next few weeks. And hey, share the podcast. Share it with people. Send them a link. You know, tag it on Facebook. Share the Facebook post. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That would help a lot. And uh, just help us get the word out about what we're doing here because ultimately we're trying to help people. So, and uh, we want to help you. So if you have questions, send us an email. And I guess until next time, everyone be safe. <laughs>